0: So we wrote a a rock and roll album four years ago to protest slavery, to shine a light on slavery. And what ended up happening is I got recruited by a counter-trafficking organization, an abolitionist organization called the Exodus Road. Uh, We go into brothels, we go into red light districts, we use covert gear combined with cyber forensics gear to find evidence of sex trafficking, specifically of minors and then we use that evidence to make raids on these brothels and these clubs with the goal of contributing to dismantling these crime syndicates and rescuing these precious girls that are stuck in this this evil. And to date, the Exodus Road has rescued 845 human beings.
1: Three, two, one. Welcome to the Mind for Life podcast. The Mind for Life podcast where your thinking can change your life.
0: And now, here's your host, Jeff Bogazic.
2: What's up, everybody? Welcome to the Mind for Life podcast. I am your host, Jeff Bogazic, where we try to go a little bit deeper in thinking about the world around us. And I am so excited today. I have with us on the program, David Zack of the band Remedy Drive. David is a lead vocalist and keyboard player for Remedy Drive. They have recorded 10 albums, one independent live album, two EPs, and recently announced their upcoming album, The North Star. It's an album designed to help raise awareness to the evil of sex trafficking around the world. I met David several years ago at a concert and just enjoyed speaking with him and he agreed to come onto our program. So we've had a great conversation today which I hope that you will enjoy. You're going to hear about David's life as a rock and roll musician traveling around the world, how he got into rock music and then how he got involved with a counter-trafficking organization called the Exodus road. I'm sure you're going to enjoy that. Before we get to it, let me mention just a couple of things. First of all, let me mention our show sponsor, Bluehost.com. Bluehost is one of the leading web solutions services provider founded in 2003. They deliver continually on their mission to empower people just like you and me to fully harness the web. They provide comprehensive tools to millions of users around the world so anyone, novice or pro, can get on the web and thrive. So if you are looking to host a website, podcast, or blog, check out bluehost.com. They host our website, mindforlife.org, and to get $3.95 a month hosting, click on over to mindforlife.org and scroll down on the homepage and click the banner link there at the bottom of that. Second, the show notes for this program will be found at mindforlife.org slash 037. So you can click on over there to get all of the links to the things that we discuss on this program and my top learning moments. Third, you can now become a patron of this podcast if you would be so kind as to help support it With your generosity, you can start with as little as $1 a month to help cover the costs of producing this program and hosting it on the web. To do so, you can head on over to mindforlife.org, click on the Become a Patron orange banner button at the top of the homepage. And finally, we started recently our new feature, Five on Friday, where I give five good minutes on a particular topic that will hopefully inspire you to think a little bit deeper and maybe even a little bit differently about the world. So if you didn't get to hear that you can check out that at mindforlife.org/036 the topic how you can talk to anyone. So that's over there at mindforlife.org. All right, let's get right on into my interview with David Zach of Remedy Drive. All right, David, welcome. It is great to have you on this program. It's going to be on. I am so excited. I, I don't know if I've told you this or not, but you guys, dude, are like my favorite band. If you were to ask my kids, but for the listener out there, David Zag is with Remedy Drive. Uh Daylight, dude, it is my it's like my favorite song of all time. Oh, nice. I love that tune, man. <laughs> and uh, I'm just excited to have you on here. If you ask my kids, pretty much every time I've got three, I've got three bands that are on uh pretty much rotation that I play. It's Remedy Drive four. Remedy Drive. <laughs> uh Switchfoot, Coldplay and you 2 So that's who you're up there with, man.
0: <laughs> it's like us and then three of our top 5 influences. <laughs> well, maybe that's why you know I like you yeah. guys
2: so much. So I mean, you guys you guys so so tell our listeners just a little bit about yourself, a little bit about your story, how everything got got started there with the band and how all of that uh ha, ha, how that journey has gone.
0: Um I'm uh Living in Nashville, Tennessee, but I grew up in Nebraska. And me and two of my brothers started a band together in high school. And then uh, when my older brother moved out to California, our, we got our younger brother. He's in—he was in like seventh grade at the time—to come out and play drums with us, uh, just on college our college campus, UNL University of Nebraska
2: Lincoln. Uh, and then he was that just, in seventh grade.
0: Yeah, so he'd come out play the student union or play it on the quad. Uh, one time he, he played with a bucket next to him because he was so sick. He was worried he was going to throw up. And we just didn't know what we were doing. We just started playing music, writing songs. Uh, definitely was listening to YouTube back then and Dave Matthews and Fish and Sure. Uh, then started uh, getting invited to play places. And after I graduated college with a math degree, uh, I was washing windows. Got trained in high-rise window washing. And then we ended up quit quitting all that Paul never went to college and the four of us uh just started touring the country together
2: wow man that was uh that's probably a pretty interesting leap from washing windows to rock rock band touring the country huh
0: it was what we you know we never really planned it it's what I wanted um and we were kind of instead of Pursuing a, a mathematics job, we were kind of just in this holding pattern. So we jumped out there, and uh, all of us became booking agents for the band at the same time. And That's how it all began for us.
2: Were you going to be a math teacher?
0: I had no idea. It was it was modern algebra that I loved, uh-huh. group theory and number number theory, some this real abstract stuff that I think is is the language of the universe, in my opinion. Um, but it really, I didn't have any practical applications for it.
2: Yeah. I don't know. What do you do with that? What do you, what kind of job do you get with that? Right. I don't know.
0: Well, there's, you know, it's kind of Goodwill hunting type stuff. Mm -hmm. Although I wasn't at that level. I was a C minus in my (laughs) major (laughs)
2: because I was writing songs all the time. (laughs) (laughs) I remember I did take calculus uh, when I was, I was in an electrical engineering degree. I took calculus one and calculus two. And I can remember sitting there going, I can't stand this stuff, man. <laughs> I don't want to yeah. do this. And, you know, that maybe propelled me to change my career. So whatever. But, uh, so let me ask you a couple questions, uh, about your experience touring the country. Yeah. You've been all over, right? Have you been, yeah. uh, where, where have you, where have you traveled to, uh, as far as inside or obviously across, uh, the United States, Canada, North America, I imagine. And maybe even Europe. Where, where have you been?
0: So with the band, we've been to all the States except for the two, you know, Hawaii and Alaska. Um, and then we've been to Finland, which was amazing. Norway, uh, Norway and Germany, uh, the Netherlands. Um, and then on those trips, of course, you know, we've got to drive through some other countries too while we were there.
2: Was it mostly – was it driving or trains? Did you do trains in Europe over there?
0: Uh, so when we played the Netherlands, that was my first time in Europe. My wife came with me. She was eight months pregnant with Stella, who's six now. And uh, no, like seven months pregnant. So she was she was big enough to really be showing. But we took a train down, I think, through Belgium and then into France. Um, but then another time when when we played in Germany – I brought it over around Christmas time and I rented a BMW, got it up to 200 kilometers per hour, uh, which wasn't expensive to rent it. But we, you know, we drove through Germany that way, went to castles and stuff. Uh, In the Netherlands or in uh, Norway and, and Finland, it was all by car.
2: It was all by car did you do yeah. now did you do a lot of touring uh like tourist stuff, or was it mostly hey, we're booked shows every night you know our our schedule was kind of solid and or did you get to like you know see some pretty cool places
0: so in in Finland, we uh missed our flight out of Frankfurt, Germany with all the band gear and everything. this is just the guys in the band, so we got into Finland like. It was dark already when we got into Finland. We went, we played our show, we got to the hotel, slept, got up. It's still dark, and then got on an airplane. So we actually did not even see Finland. So it was the worst tour tourist experience possible.
2: So you didn't even ba- basically didn't see the light of day.
0: No, not in Finland at all. You didn't see. But we made we made up for it in Norway though, because when we as soon as we got to Norway, we were still jet lagged, and we went out on the fjords on, uh, on a on a that's a ferry ride like uh-huh. a three-hour ferry ride in the fjords and it was amazing then yeah. had a christmas christmas dinner uh that was in a, the fjords if, if you don't know there i came home my daughter's like you want a fjord no fair i was like well, how do you know what a fjord is yeah i've never heard of that word before but it's like these these long you might know how to describe it better than like canyon-esque lord of the rings-esque uh viking uh inlets from the ocean these uh-huh. long thin Canyon type things that you're in.
2: You're on a boat.
0: Yeah. You're on a boat in them.
2: And, and there's uh, like, imagine like just hills on the sides and and stuff like that. You're driving through these things like, almost like finger lakes. Maybe.
0: That's what I was going to say. And you're expecting to see one of those massive guardians, those stone guardians when when the hobbits are going through those
1: things.
0: Essentially, uh, Elsa's castle was just right up Elsinore's castle that they grew up in. Was just right on one of those fjords. Okay. So that's that's why my daughter knew exactly what she it was. she knew what it was. <laughs> yeah.
2: Yeah. You gotta be. You have to have experienced Frozen, right, to be able to yeah. grasp that, because uh, I have not. Uh, so that was a that was a pretty cool experience. You live in Nashville.
0: Yeah. yeah.
2: If you could live anywhere, is that where you would go?
0: Well, it depends on. I mean, playing in the band, playing most of our shows in America, if I take that off the table. Take
2: that off the table because you would probably want to be more centrally located, I imagine, right?
0: Yeah. I think, man, I think I'd want to live in Southeast Asia for a while. Oh, yeah. Um, I don't know if it'd get lonely or not. It probably would. But I I just love those people. And I love the food. I uh, the culture, the driving on the wrong side of the road is a little difficult, but I'd figure that out.
2: Were you in China?
0: I just flown through. That's it.
2: So you, you've been more Thailand, Cambodia. Yeah. Yeah. My brother-in-law lived in China for five years. Uh, they were over there as missionaries, uh, independent missionaries in Kunming, China for five years and they love it. They love yeah. it over there, so the same type of experience uh, I imagine that they had with you that you had as well um what's besides uh besides the the time in Finland there it was Finland where you didn't see daylight right yeah uh, yeah besides that what's been your wor- you probably had a lot of nightmare travel <laughs> experiences right what what's some of the worst yeah. ones you've had
0: <laughs> well that one played into it for sure, and here's the biggest mistake I've ever made booking travel is i tried because i'm booking for four tickets was stressful sometimes you know yeah booking for a band and you got deadlines at every place you're going and we had a show in norway and finland back to back so it made travel but i did it through priceline which in hindsight that was so stupid and then um one of the tickets yeah i didn't realize that it was a next day thing so we had like eight hour layovers at airports and that whole thing was all messed up. Just that nonstop rushing and then just being – then waiting. Right. And in one of those times coming out of Finland, we played Finland first or we played Norway first, flying into Frankfurt. We should have just flown right over Sweden. I should have found a direct flight. But um, we ran through the airports of Frankfurt and theirs is one of those airports where you got to catch a bus
1: yeah.
0: um, to your airplane. And we missed the bus by moments. And uh, and that's why we got stranded in that airport. And back then, I didn't, you know, I wasn't as savvy as I am. It was nice. Luckily, they had internet. But I don't know what I would have done if there wasn't open Wi-Fi in there. I, I guess I would have found Wi-Fi. But I had to email the people putting on the show in Finland and say we missed our flight. And they already had sent a car down. And uh,
2: did you ma- <laughs> so you missed the show or did you make the show? We
0: made we made the show because we were playing later on at night. And it was uh-huh. a longer event. Uh, similar to the event we we met at it, I yeah. think um, and so they we just had a sound check in front of a, in front of like 8000 Finnish people <laughs>
2: <laughs> well that's pretty which bad which is fine so you learned uh you learned the lesson from that and that is what don't well, don't go through priceline
0: well you can if you're absolutely sure but it's just tricky cuz I'd rather just stay with the same airline especially uh-huh. with luggage being in a band we've had we've had luggage lost a lot so don't check a bag unless you really 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 need to and sometimes we really need to and uh fortunately at that show they they got all our bags you know think about all those odds and ends that need to happen in order to make that happen because we're we're four guys we got eight or nine or ten bags and some of those are guitars and pedal boards and stuff
2: so you don't take, but you, when you go overseas like that, you're just taking your guitar pedal board, but you're not taking all, all your amps and everything like that. Or are you?
0: Yeah, we're not. And then depending, I don't know the right words for this, but you know, a Vox amplifier, that what what George Harrison and the Beatles use, right? Mm-hmm. And what the the Edge from U2 uses, I think that they sound better on, on, uh, the electricity over the pond. Get out! Like they're they're made to sound that way. So another rookie mistake is we plug stuff in in Germany our first time over because we just had the little two prong things. And right. I thought that would you don't know, it needs to, it needs to actually convert for stuff for your Mac it's cool because uh, it's built into that box. But so we blew stuff up. That smell of burned electronics
1: is is uh, it's haunting. <laughs>
2: <laughs> so. Do you think those things are made tuned to the electricity?
0: Um, people. A lot of people say that. I mean, they were designed there. Yeah, it's a British amplifier. Um, and they're just a, there's just a warmth to it because I don't know what the difference is. We're one ten, they're two forty, right, 220, yeah. or something like that. So we those all are provided for us. Okay. And the, like, just like the drums, and the bass hand.
2: That's all provided. You just bring, like, your stuff. What about your yeah. What about your piano, keyboard? They have something? That's,
0: that's a bummer because I do jump off my own keyboard I a know. lot. And I'll just kind of... Uh, what I'll do is I'll be like, hey... Because, like, a Rhodes, I can do the same thing on. Mm-hmm. So I've always um, kind of uh, asked somebody the best I could, and they're usually pretty concerned about it. And some places, like when we played the Netherlands... Um you cannot, it is illegal to crowd surf from stage. So when I ran down, it was a big festival, and I ran down and got on the barrier, they had guys just holding on to my pants.
1: Not letting you go. <laughs> for
0: like the security guard. Yeah, I was I was grounded. <laughs> uh <laughs> but some of that, it's just you know, some of it they don't it's so hard to tell whether or not you have communicated something clearly or not,
2: yeah, the language barrier, um, yeah, so for the for our listeners, if you have not seen uh, remedy drive, you can go on their website remedydrive.com, and there's a bunch of pictures and you'll see David like ten feet up in the air, dude, like seriously, <laughs> you launch off of that thing I've got two questions for you number one, how does that keyboard stay up dude how does it hold you and are you starting to feel it in your legs from landing is it taking a toll on your physical body from from jumping i mean because you're up there man i mean there's a picture i think i was looking at your website where you're up there dude legs like behind you you're flying
0: um yeah the legs on the piano and the legs in the human I've both had some some issues. Yeah. But I'm not touring so much. We're only playing 60 dates a year. So that's only 200 or so jumps.
2: 200 or so jumps. That's not too bad. Do you have to limber up? I remember because I grew up, obviously, I grew up in the 80s and, you know, glam metal, you know, was my jam i guess you could say it so you know i grew up on that stuff and uh i remember the videos of the guys backstage limbering up you know doing the splits and everything like that do you have to prepare for those things
0: i forget to and then (laughs) you know i am doing a few push-ups and jumping jacks right before we go on stage you know
2: yeah have you uh have you switched out of the snap button shirts
0: um no i still i have one on here uh That one I got some grief for it uh, when when I met you. (laughs) It just it wasn't intentional. It was just you know a few. It comes snapped open if you're not careful.
2: Hey, good times, man. Good times. Yeah. That's good times. Um, Okay, so, well, talk a little bit about the Exodus Road. I know you're big into that, and I think that's an important thing and something we want to communicate. Tell uh, tell our listeners what you're all about there, what you're doing, what they're doing, how you got involved, and uh, maybe even a little bit about what they can do to help out.
0: So we wrote a, a rock and roll album four years ago uh to protest slavery to shine a light on slavery and what ended up happening is uh I got recruited by a counter trafficking organization an abolitionist organization called the Exodus Road and originally my goal was to help raise awareness and raise funds to fund rescue operations and raids and investigations um but I found myself wanting to be part of it when I met with the founder, Matt Parker. So I've been on nine deployments with them. And when we're on deployment as Westerners, um, we join national full-time investigators from the Exodus road. Uh, we'll join their ranks as volunteers. Uh, we also have contract guys that are Westerners too, that, um, I think there's about 50, 50 people on salary, but then there's um, tons of volunteers too. Uh, We go into brothels. We go into red light districts. We use covert gear um, combined with cyber forensics gear in our ops center uh, to find evidence of sex trafficking, specifically of minors. And then we use that evidence to make raids on these brothels and these clubs with the goal of, contributing to dismantling these crime syndicates
1: mm-hmm.
0: um, and rescuing these precious girls that are stuck in this this evil uh, and to date the exodus road has rescued 845 wow. human beings wow man which is it's pretty exciting for me when we came on board it was somewhere in maybe 150 200
2: mm-hmm. so have you been a have you been in the raids or do they is it law enforcement or is it and how does that work I mean obviously when you start doing that there's people that have vested interest in keeping those how does all that work man
0: so yeah that's an important part that I left out is when we do raids we partner with local authorities okay then okay. we go through the proper channels and sometimes you know. I'm watching Narcos right now. The proper <laughs> channels sometimes are not; uh, they're, they're in on it, you know. Yeah. They're they're uh, part of the problem. They got a buddy, maybe that's a mayor that's, that owns a club, or it's a club owned by a military, or um. So we definitely work, with, and for that reason, the only raid I've been on was tipped off. Okay, by you know the girl I was sitting with. I'm undercover. My job is to record uh, evidence of uh, my friend buying an underage girl. And it didn't work out because they, they knew. And that happens a lot of times.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: But the stars really have to align for these raids to be successful. Um, but part of what we're doing is, is just being there, having eyes and ears on the street, it sends a message to crime syndicates and mafias and uh, criminals that somebody's watching. Even right. when their whole culture, their whole culture might have looked the other way, the whole world's looking the other way. But somebody's there, and it it, it affects them. And I've seen the average age of girls on the street in Southeast Asia go up significantly. And the average age of what they're, they're willing to tell you, like if you're asking for a young girl, they'll say. 21 now they'll say 22 whereas before you know they 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 were offering they're offering you young girls in broad daylight which still happens Mm -hmm. but i've seen i've seen a gradual shift in that culture in particular
2: how big a problem is it
0: well i just read an article there's 40 million people impacted by slavery in 2016 most of them are women and children and you look at you know the region i'm talking about you look at myanmar right now we might know it as Burma, or Myanmar. Um, there's there's a refugee crisis there because of a genocide. Um, some awful things happening there, and that contributes to it. Um, these wars contribute to vulnerable people doing desperate things. And when people are desperate, that's when they get in a boat and put their kids, you know, trying to get across the Mediterranean Sea or the Sea of Thailand or. Uh, they're just looking for safety. They're looking for – they don't want to die. And as a result, they're very easy to pick off by traffickers, mm-hmm. by the wolves and the tigers that come at night.
2: Wow. So you just got back recently? Yeah. yeah.
0: From Latin America. We we're, were training a couple of uh, guys down there, which that was new for me because I speak Spanish.
1: Nice. And that
0: made it – I, I mean I speak decent Spanish. So that made it a lot of fun. I got to train these guys that, you know, they were both part of a, part of the military for 23, 24 years each. And, uh, that, gotta be, I guess I don't even know how old they are because we're about the same age. I'm only 38. So they've been in the military since they were teenagers. Um, and just the, the camaraderie we have doing this kind of work together yeah. and you just have an immediate bond with somebody.
2: Now, is the Exodus Road uh, operating in multiple countries outside of Southeast Asia? Are they in Mexico and some of these other countries, or are they mainly geared over there and you're just training people to come and help you over there or to, like, even incorporate where they're at now some of the same tactics?
0: So we are in Southeast Asia, and we have – Westerners on staff, and then we have uh, 16 uh, nationals. And then we're in India, and the entire team is nationals. It works better that way in India. Right. In, in, in Southeast Asia, it's, it's normal for sex tourists to come from Western countries. And the same with uh, Latin America. And as, as we continue to grow in Latin America, we, we, we get invited into countries. And these countries don't want their name getting drugged through the mud, so we're right. careful about talk, talking about countries specifically. Um, but uh, the goal would be to put the real front line work in the hands of the locals, mm-hmm. you know, in the hands of the guys that have a national pride and have a have a concern for the daughters of their country, you know, and then empower them with the training. But then sometimes they'll set up they'll set up sting operations where they'll say, hey, we have some Westerners coming in. And they they want to party, you know, so can you provide such and such for them? And that's a great technique that happen, that's uh, successful gener- generally.
2: Does anything – is there any recourse on the buyers, in other words? Do they get arrested or is it pretty much, you know, when that happens, that's it?
0: Yeah, but – and the same here in the states. It's, it's. I think it's merely a ticket here in the yeah. states, and you can claim ignorance. You can. Uh, so, it's really frustrating to me. I love this. The Swedish, or yeah, the, uh, Sweden, Sweden between Norway and Finland.
2: I don't know my geography well enough.
0: I love their. Yes, yeah, and the, they call it the Nordic model. They they've redefined prostitution of an act, as an act of exploitation against women and children. Mm-hmm. And therefore, it's decriminalized because the girls don't have a way to, to, I mean, it's illegal, but it's decriminalized for the girls because a lot of these girls that want out, they don't know how to get out. I've talked to girls recently that have been trafficked from Latin America over to China, mm-hmm. and then throughout Southeast Asia, and then back to Latin America. Um, and this one girl I was talking to, she didn't even know that she was ta- trafficked. Right. She was like a textbook situation she was looking for high end work she had to pay a certain amount of money to get over there you know probably 10 times what her plane ticket would cost round trip plane ticket and it's this debt bondage right um and then the drugs come into play and the coercion
2: does the exodus road have a um something set up you know for these girls that once they get out there's you know, they create opportunities for them to get back into, you know, a normal society, a normal life. My, I know my, uh, my brother and uh, my brother-in-law and sister-in-law when they were over in China, they worked with Eden. It's called Eden Ministries, and they would. The ministry was there to kind of like create jobs for girls that had been pulled out. So, does the Exodus Road have something like that, or do they partner with uh, other organizations to provide that?
0: Yeah, we we partner with other organizations. Um 45% of all the non-government organizations, NGOs that are in this space are are raising awareness and trying to do prevention work, which right. is really, really important. 45% are doing aftercare work like what you're talking about rehabilitation and repatriation, mm-hmm. which is really really important and it's the long suffering type work, you know, it's you got to be there. You got to be committed to that girl for a long time. Right. And what, what drew me to the Exodus road is that only 10% of all the funds, all the organizations are going to the justice side of things, which is dealing with the guy that's throwing people off the bridge. Right. I've heard this. and, And the charity aspect is so important too, but without the justice aspect, without somebody putting a wrench in those crime syndicates, um, we're just uh, sometimes we're even creating vacuums when we rescue girls if we're not going to deal with the with the guys that are doing doing the trafficking. Um, and so this is really exciting for me. Uh, we're making a new album called The North Star, which is named after um, Frederick Douglass's uh, newspaper. He him and another guy had a newspaper, The North Star. So you'd follow the North Star, and some of those slave songs talked about the, how to find the North Star off off the off the big. Follow the the drinking gourd off the Big Dipper. You can find the North Star to, to find your way north to freedom. Right. Uh, and with the launch of that album, we're releasing uh, a t-shirt line for the band. That's all made in Cambodia by Agape International Ministries, nice. by girls that have been rescued from sex trafficking to give them and their daughters new lines of work and and uh, uh, upward mobility. They cut the fabric, they sew the fabric, they screen print it. And then we buy a bunch of uh, boho pants
1: mm-hmm. from
0: uh, from another organization called soksam. My wife buys a ton of elephants and bracelets from Rafa House.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, I have a three strands bracelet from 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 Cambodia, and then this this I'm not a commodity bracelet was made in uh, in Cambodia by some boys that were part, like lower level errand boys for mm-hmm. a gang mm-hmm. that that also traffic girls. So there's a ton of organizations we we buy from about eight of them, and then. Resell to our to our fan base but this t-shirt thing is going to be a whole game changer because we've been we've been buying t-shirts we don't even know these t-shirts are affected by slavery right which the chances are high but now we know they're not touched by slavery right the fabric was made in vietnam and then it was cut and sewn under the supervision by these girls that are are getting a, a way out of that life
2: that's awesome man great great awareness there
0: yeah. And to tie it back into travel, I I think I'm going to visit a couple of these places uh, in a couple of weeks.
2: You're going, going back, back over.
0: To, I'm going back to Southeast Asia, so I want to um, I want to see these places. But it's you don't really I don't really want to. You can't take pictures of these yeah. girls, you know what I mean? Uh, and I don't want to just be kind of going and gawking. But I would like to see some of this stuff in production, which would be amazing.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, what a I've cool never experience, s- man? Huh?
0: I've never seen them on the other side. I only get to see. The inside, you know, I only get to see the dark side of it. And I'm pretending to be one of those punks that should be arrested. Yeah. Um, And I can never say, hey, I'm one of the good guys. So I'd like to just see it for myself, the rehabilitation aspect.
2: Yeah. Well, it would be a cool experience to kind of see the full circle. You yeah. know what I mean? That's pretty awesome. Um let me ask you this. I don't want to take too much of your time. I know you want to be back there with your family and you got a lot of stuff going on. What would you say the greatest lesson you've learned by traveling? What would you say the greatest life lesson that you've learned? And it can really have anything to do with anything. What's what been the biggest eye opener, the greatest experience or the greatest thing you've learned?
0: I, I don't know the exact wording, but Mark Twain said something about how travel is fatal to bigotry. Uh, he's like – essentially he's saying if you travel, you will realize that this preconceived notion that there is the other is uh, – he didn't say it that way. But along those lines, it's not real. Yeah, There probably. is no they. There's we. There's us. Mm-hmm. Um, people want to be known. And, and the same fear that I have towards somebody that's different, they have towards me. But when you go and you talk about food or you share food or you have a drink or you walk up past a picnic and a guy pours out some of his whiskey on the ground and then pours you the first glass just because you're some random foreigner walking by on a beach in Asia. And then you talk with them. They, people love their families. People love food. And people are generally pretty hospitable and want to know who you are and uh, want to be known. Uh, And that commonality, that idea that there is no they, there is no other, there's no them, um, that's a construct. That's something that we learn and we do to ourselves. Um, And I guess the way I've learned that the most is through eating with people. Through (laughs) eating with
1: people. Yeah,
0: yeah. And then this is a weird bit, because I travel so much, I'm addicted to people. <laughs> um, so now it's really it would be really expensive to get my family out. And this is, this is maybe for your listeners a piece of advice: I spend a ton of time traveling the world here in Nashville, Tennessee, mm-hmm. because I just go into homes of people from Africa and from the Mid East and from Myanmar. Because we have so many refugees here that me and my wife are involved in, we're community with, and we bring them to our home. And that's the best way to travel without having to travel is just going and eating with people from different
2: cultures. Isn't there something weird about that? I mean, maybe not weird, but really cool and interesting that there's something about having a meal with someone. Right. It's
0: that phrase, breaking bread. Right. That's not, there is something about it.
2: It's, it breaks barriers, man. It breaks down mm. barriers when you are sharing uh, sharing food together. So there's a tip for everyone. Go and meet someone and uh, have a meal with them. And
0: it seems so weird to say. It is a weird thing to say, but it is so rewarding. I just wish people would eat together. <laughs> <laughs>
2: Yeah, instead of can't we all just get along, can't we all just sit down and have a meal together, right? Yeah. What a difference <laughs> it would make, you know? What a difference in the world it would make if people would just go out, find someone different, and sit mm-hmm. down and have a meal with them. I bet you it would break down. Yeah. I bet you it would make some big changes, man. Yeah. So, well, uh, you're a poet. You're a rock star. You are a uh, traveling justice league superhero in the Exodus road. And, uh, it's been a great, great pleasure to have you on the program. Thank you so much for being here. Appreciate it.
0: Thank you, Jeff. Appreciate it.
2: All right. Take care, David. Well, I hope you've enjoyed that interview and rather than give my top learning moments, I just want to ask if you would go ahead and take a look at the Exodus road Their website is TheExodusRoad.com, and maybe think about helping them out and supporting them with what they're doing to help precious girls and women who are trapped in this evil of slavery. I have to say, I'm so impressed by what David is doing. The fact that he's involved there at the ground level, working to make a difference in the lives of people. And I know we all can't do that. We all can't go over to Southeast Asia and do what David is doing, but we all can do something. And The Exodus Road is a wonderful opportunity to do that. You can check them out on the web, theexodusroad.com forward slash remedy drive or you can click on over to remedy drives website remedy drive.com and click on the exodus road link there and also if you ever get a chance to download an album or buy an album from remedy drive or catch a live show i highly recommend it you will not only enjoy some great music but you will be supporting a great cause as well well i hope you well, I hope you've enjoyed this podcast. Remember, the show notes are at mindforlife.org slash 037, where you can also leave your comments about this episode. Please remember to subscribe to the Mind for Life podcast on iTunes. And if you get a chance, leave a review while you're there. Thank you again so much for listening to this program. I hope you've enjoyed it, and we will talk to you next time.